It's 6 p.m. and you are tuned to your community radio station, KVMR-FM Nevada City, KCPC Camino. Today is Monday, December 12th. I'm Kelly Reese and this is your KVMR Evening News. Up ahead, the California Report asks, what will wind turbines do to the coast of Morro Bay? Residents struggle to balance feelings of support for the renewable energy project with concern for its ecological impacts. Then, National Native News looks at an elite border patrol unit made up of indigenous trackers. The Thana Otham shadow wolves are known for their ability to track drug smugglers and human traffickers. We'll take a look at your local news and weather before the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation's Sid Brown stops in for the latest installment of A Walk in the Park. This is the California Report. I'm Adi Bolaños in San Luis Obispo. As we start making our way across California, we want to make sure we acknowledge the indigenous communities and land that make up this beautiful state. San Luis Obispo County sits on the northern Chumash and Salinas tribal land. The Bureau of Ocean Energy Management, or BOEM, just sold five leases for wind turbine projects off the coast of California. Three are located in Morro Bay in San Luis Obispo County. As KCBX's Gabriela Fernandez reports from Morro Bay, local indigenous tribes are getting involved. The windows at Morro Bay's Natural History Museum look out to sweeping views of the ocean. Someday in the future, locals and visitors could see lights in the water from wind turbines about 30 miles off this coast. The state's coastline is sometimes called the Blue Serengeti for its biodiverse ecosystem filled with species like elephant seals, sea otters, and whales. The animals living here are culturally significant resources for local indigenous communities. It's a symbolism and the teachings that are passed down are all based off of this natural world. That's Chad Jackson, a California State Parks archaeologist whose office is at the museum. He works with local tribal communities to manage the cultural resources of Morro Bay. Jackson and State Parks don't have an official position or comment on Morro Bay's offshore wind development. He says his job is to collaborate with the tribes to help explain the cultural significance of Morro Bay. The indigenous people of California really depended upon a balanced environment to provide them with sustenance, obviously, food, but also just their reverence for their homeland and how they carry about their traditions and their stories, and really just uh, the beauty and abundance of, of the California coastline. In San Luis Obispo County, where Morro Bay sits, the northern Chumash and Salinan tribes have been living on this land for thousands of years. Violet Sagewalker is the chairwoman for the Northern Chumash Tribal Council. She's a supporter of Morro Bay's wind energy projects, saying they're a promising source of renewable energy. But she also has concerns. She's working closely with BOEM to make sure the offshore wind turbines don't disrupt the beauty and resources of the ocean. So we want to make sure that um, the offshore wind is done in a way that is um, compatible with our lifestyle and our values, which is um, it's really important for us. She says she wants to make sure building and maintaining the turbines doesn't end up killing vulnerable marine species. 
my main concern is how the um, wildlife is going to be affected by the industrialization of the ocean, which means seismic, acoustic, and you know, any type of blasting that will be to anchor the windmills to the ocean floor. Local marine researchers say there will be impacts on the ocean ecosystem, but they also say there isn't enough research on how big of a threat they could pose to marine species. With a history of oil spills off the central coast, Sagewalker wants to ensure the switch to renewable energy doesn't perpetuate the exploitation of the ocean. So I'm hoping we didn't go from the foe of offshore oil, oil spills, and like all these things that we've been dealing with for the past 40 years, to another one. The Morro Bay Wind Energy Area also encompasses the local Salinan tribe's ancestral land. The tribe did not respond to requests for comment on this story. For The California Report, I'm Gabriela Fernandez in San Luis Obispo. Support for the California Report comes from Stanford Healthcare, alerting listeners to the critical blood shortage in the area. Now is the time to donate blood and make a difference. StanfordBloodCenter.org. The James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at Irvine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Futures, which bets early on exceptional people making the world better, on the web at schmidtfutures.com. More drama with the L.A. City Council. After embattled council member Kevin DeLeon briefly showed up for a council meeting Friday and then got into an altercation with an activist at a community event. DeLeon had not appeared at a council meeting since mid-October following the leaked audio of racist comments made by himself and two other council members. He was greeted in the council chambers by loud jeers and more calls to resign. De Leon eventually left the meeting after 20 minutes. Then later that night at a holiday event in his district, he was again met by community activists. Videos show De Leon coming face to face with one of those activists before the councilman shoved him and held him down on a table. De Leon claims he was headbutted and punched. Both sides have filed a police report. A man whose case has grabbed the attention of Bay Area lawmakers has been released from ICE detention after spending more than 15 months in custody. But as the California reports Keith Misaguchi reports, his fight isn't over. Sal Prasad was born in Fiji but has lived in California most of his life. In 1994, he says he made a horrible mistake, shooting and killing someone during an argument outside a market in Modesto. Prasad was convicted of second-degree murder and spent 27 years in prison. He was granted his release by the state parole board last year, but... Instead of being released, he was transferred to ICE detention in August of 2021, and that's because of the fact that he was born abroad. That's Maddie Boyd with the San Francisco Public Defender's Office. She's representing Prasad, who's currently in transitional housing in the Bay Area. Because he identifies as a queer bi man, Prasad fears being deported back to Fiji, where he says LGBTQ people are often persecuted and harmed. And although he is out on bond, that fear still exists, as he could be deported at any time. That's why advocates and legislators, including the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, have called for Governor Gavin Newsom to pardon Prasad. 
if he's pardoned, then he will not be in threat of deportation anymore. So he can move forward and he has a lot of plans of giving back to the community. He would really like to do anti-violence education. So far, the governor has not said whether he will take up the case. For The California Report, I'm Keith Mizuguchi. And that's The California Report for Monday, December 12th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Coming up, National Native News investigates an elite border patrol unit made up of indigenous trackers. And two culprits responsible for the theft and vandalism of a Native American art exhibit at the University of Kansas are put on center stage. This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Over the weekend, the Native community in Lawrence, Kansas, received a public apology from two men charged for their involvement in the damage and theft of a Native American art exhibit at the University of Kansas Spencer Art Museum in 2021. As Rhonda Lavaldo reports, the incident was hurtful to Native students on campus and at the nearby Haskell Indian Nations University. Sorry for the angst, suffering, somberness and the overall opacity throughout these past 14 months. A crowd gathered in front of the Spencer Art Museum on the University of Kansas campus as two non-natives apologized for destroying the native hosts and outdoor art installation by Edgar Heapabird's Cheyenne Arapahoe. The panels are metal signs that include the names of the Ka, Potawatomi, Iowa, Nimaha Haki, and Kickapoo tribes. One of the defendants, John Winchelensky, talked about how he has learned from the incident. We didn't know the nature of the signs. Again, it's no excuse for what we did, and we're grateful for the opportunity to really be here and work with some phenomenal, phenomenal people. They're very open-armed, they're very open-armed with us, and welcoming and nice and kind and cordial. And we think that that's a great mix between us and them to come and and, and hopefully create some peace and spread awareness and hopefully continue on our path to become allies of, of the cause. KU First Nations Student Association wrote in a statement, this exhibit was intended to draw attention to the issues of native sovereignty, colonial dispossession, and respect and honor for indigenous peoples upon whose land KU's campus occupies. Native exhibits are incredible tools for creating conversations and drawing attention to our history and the value we bring to our areas of study and our interactions with the community at large. Haskell students were in attendance for the event and Skylar Labahi would have liked to have been able to ask questions. They should have heard what we went through, what we, our personal point of view but they just closed it and it's off. Both Winch and Samuel McKnight will do a presentation at the KU First Nations powwow in spring. For two others accused, their cases are to begin in January 2023. This is Rhonda Lovaldo for National Native News. The leaders of two southern Arizona tribes have been appointed to a new federal advisory council focusing on border security and other issues. As Arizona Public Radio's Ryan Heinches reports, they'll be involved in U.S. policies that impact Indian country. Fauna Otham Chairman Ned Norris Jr. and Pascua Yaqui Tribe Chairman Peter Yucapicio were among 15 people appointed to the Tribal Homeland Security Advisory Council earlier this month. They'll offer guidance to U.S. Homeland Security Secretary Ella 
Alejandro Mayorkas on cybersecurity, law enforcement, emergency management, domestic terrorism, and border security. Officials say their experience will be crucial in efforts to keep Arizonans safe and strengthen nation-to-nation relationships. Collectively, the two chairmen represent more than 564,000 tribal members and 178 villages and village corporations. Officials say the advisory group will allow the federal government to utilize the broad base of knowledge and expertise of indigenous people as it relates to homeland security. In April, President Joe Biden signed a bill into law that classifies the Thana Otham shadow wolves as special agents. According to officials, it allows the elite Border Patrol unit made up of indigenous trackers known for their ability to track drug smugglers and human traffickers to better investigate and secure the border. For National Native News, I'm Ryan Heinches in Flagstaff, Arizona. And I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Support for law and justice-related programming provided by Hobbs, Strauss, Dean & Walker, a national law firm dedicated to promoting and defending tribal rights for nearly 40 years. More information available at HobbsStrauss.com. Support by the American Indian Higher Education Consortium, working to ensure tribal colleges and universities are included in our higher education system. Information on 37 tribal colleges and universities at AIHEC.org. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. Let's take a look at your local news. An extreme cold weather shelter opened today at 4.30 p.m. at the Madeline Helling Library Community Room. The shelter will remain open both Monday and Tuesday nights and will accept guests until 8 p.m. The shelter closes at 7.30 a.m. each morning. The cold weather shelter protocol was activated due to National Weather Service predictions of significantly cold and wet weather tonight and Tuesday night. The Homeless Outreach and Medical Engagement Team will provide case management services to attendees, and Hospitality House will provide homeless access transportation to and from the library. The Cold Weather Shelter is located near the Rood Center at the Madeline Helling Library Community Room at 980 Helling Way, Nevada City. In Nevada County, cold weather shelters are activated when the National Weather Service predicts temperatures at or below 30 degrees for a period of five hours or more, or when the NWS predicts temperatures at or below 32 degrees with snow on the ground. The Sacramento Bee reports work has begun on a 194-unit affordable housing development in South Sacramento. Anton Development Company began work on the empty lot south of Florin Road in early December. An estimated 20% of the area's residents live below the poverty line, and the median household income is well below the Sacramento region median. The project, called Anton Mosaic, will have a mix of one-, two-, and three-bedroom apartments. Units will be available to households making between 30% and 70% of the area median income. That's between roughly $30,000 and $71,000 for a family of four. A clubhouse, fitness center, barbecue area, and playground will be included in the development, 
and Pacific Housing, a nonprofit organization that manages affordable housing communities, will provide on-site resident services such as after-school classes, workforce development training, and health and wellness programs. Construction on the community is expected to be completed in spring of 2025. Despite considerable progress in recent months, Sacramento still faces a severe shortage of affordable housing. According to an analysis by the Sacramento Area Council of Governments, more than 23,000 affordable housing units need to be added in the county and city of Sacramento this decade. Turning our attention to your local weather forecast from the National Weather Service, dry weather returns this week with cold nights and below-normal highs. Expect cold mornings throughout the week as well. For those in Grass Valley and Nevada City, tonight, widespread frost, mainly after 7 p.m., otherwise clear with a low around 25 degrees. Tuesday, widespread frost before 10 a.m., otherwise sunny with a high near 45 degrees. In Truckee and Lake Tahoe, tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 9 degrees. Tuesday, mostly sunny with a high near 32 degrees. And in Sacramento and Woodland, tonight, patchy fog after midnight, otherwise slightly cloudy with a low around 32 degrees. Tuesday, areas of freezing fog between 7 and 8 a.m., mostly sunny with a high near 50. You're listening to the Evening News on KVMR. Sid Brown brings news and good tidings from Malakoff Diggins, Empire Mine, and South Yuba State Parks. Hear how the county's libraries and parks are working in tandem and the special treat Nevada County residents can take advantage of coming up on a walk in the park. There's a couple of new things I can report of interest. Calling all Californians. Did you know you can check out a free vehicle day use pass at the local library? So here we have um, a couple of local libraries. I believe they're available at all of them that Penn Valley, Grass Valley, and Madeline Helling Library. And this program allows you to check out a parks pass for one vehicle for day use. The parks pass is good at Malakoff Diggins, so you don't have to pay if you have your parks pass from your library, and at South Yuba River State Park down at Bridgeport. The only requirement is that you have a library card. This is part of the program we have to encourage all Californians to get out and and have ownership of their libraries and their state parks and to have no barriers to access. Well, I would like to report that we had a lovely event at Empire Mine the day after Thanksgiving, holidays in the park, and we had over 1,400 visitors that day enjoying the beautiful buildings and grounds, and we had all kinds of activities for families with candle dipping and docents in um, costume tin punching. So there is one holdover from that activity, and that is the pesky pisky scavenger hunt. And that is going to be available for all young visitors through December. And that is at Empire Mine State Historic Park. The young visitor will ask for a sheet that has a kind of a, uh, it's like a score sheet. And there are 12 hidden piskies throughout the interior of the park. And it's a little challenge to observe and find them. Now, you may be wondering, what is a pisky? 
I wondered the same thing. And it is actually a Cornish mythical creature, often considered mischievous, with small pointy ears and red hair. So that's a little tip of the hat to the holidays and to the Cornish history of Empire Mine and the mining that occurred in the past. So that's a little pesky, pisky scavenger hunt at Empire Mine. And we do have an Adventure Pass program, which offers free entry to all fourth graders and their families. So you can check out that at the California State Parks website. And there are 19 state parks throughout California that are participating in this special program for fourth graders and their families. And we are lucky that Empire Mine is one of those special parks. So an entire family of a fourth grader can go through the park for free and have everything they need. Um, But there is a little process to go through in order to show that uh, adventure pass. So check out the website, parks.ca.gov, and you can find out about the adventure pass program. In the past, there have been first day hikes offered at several of the state parks, and that is a hike that is usually led by a volunteer or a park staff on January 1st. It's a wonderful way to start the new year. Now, our local parks have not scheduled a first day hike, so even if they don't, I do encourage anybody who enjoys the outdoors to start the new year right and just get out and enjoy one of the little trails that we have to offer both at Empire Mine, Malakoff Diggins, and South Yuba River. Now, Malakoff Diggins is definitely off the beaten path. I always try to remind people to access the park from Nevada City to Highway 49 across the South Yuba River and take a right on Tyler Foot Road and follow the signs that way to Malakoff Diggins. That road is paved all the way, and especially this time of year when um, conditions can be very dicey on the unpaved, very narrow, remote parts of North Bloomfield Road, please do access the park from the paved direction. And it's always a good idea to let people know when you're heading out, especially when we have snow or uh, road conditions can deteriorate. So my reminders to you are always remember to leave no trace, recreate responsibly, be aware of the conditions that you're coming to, and check first before you go to make sure that the weather and the staffing in the parks are open and available to you. If you have any further questions, there is a wealth of information on the parks websites, parksplural.ca.gov, and the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation website. That's sierragoldparksfoundation.org. Enjoy your parks. That's our newscast for this Monday, December 12th. You can listen to the extended version of A Walk in the Park on our webpage, kbmr.org, or wherever you get your podcasts. Sid Brown sits on the board of the Sierra Gold Parks Foundation and joins us once a month with news and updates from Western Nevada County's three state parks. Learn more at sierragoldparksfoundation.org. KVMR gets support from generous listeners like you and 1849 Brewing Company, brewing lagers, ales, IPAs, and stouts. Offering a pub-style menu, wood-fired pizza, weekly live music, billiards, and an outdoor patio. 
open daily at 11 on Sutton Way Grass Valley, 1849brewingco.com, and Mailboxes Plus, reminding listeners to mail holiday packages for timely arrival to friends and family, offering packing and shipping services with major carriers. Located in the BNC Shopping Center, Grass Valley, mailboxesplusgv.net. The KVMR Evening News is produced by KVMR News Director Claudio Mendoza. As always, thanks for tuning in. I'm Kelly Reese, signing off. Join us Tuesday at 6 for another edition of the KVMR Evening News. Thank you.